The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. I'll pick up where I've left off from last week. Uh, so what I'm doing is giving a series of talks on uh, probably one of the most famous or important teachings of the Buddha about mindfulness practice. It's kind of like the, the considered to be the text from which the, my whole mindfulness practice down to the century originates. And it's a somewhat lengthy text that gives a series of exercises for cultivating a strong mindfulness. And... Um, and it's divided, these uh, different exercises are divided into three different areas of life, of our immediate life, with the physical life, our body life, mindfulness of the body. Uh, a little bit deeper than that is considered to be um, what's called feelings, which we'll talk about in a few weeks, which is um, the ways in which we sense and pick up the pleasant and unpleasantness of experience. And uh, deeper in that is the mind states that we live in. And deeper in that are the deep-seated mental processes by which we either get caught into bondage and, or by which we become free and break the chains of, of mental bondage. And, um, and so right now we're talking about mindfulness of the body, which is an extremely important um, area of Buddhist practice. And... Um, which I didn't see when I first uh, started doing Buddhist practice. Uh, the teachings I was given uh, didn't talk about the body much. And it seemed like, if anything, it was more intellectual and ideas and mind things rather than anything to do with the body. But uh, that was the rhetoric I kind of picked up. But the practice that we did was all about being in the body. Uh, it was all these physical things and physical activities and what you did with the body, how you carried your body, what you did with your body, the the attention you, you, that you use through the body and walking and standing and sitting and walking through doors and eating and everything was kind of set up to be aware of what you're doing with your body. And so without being taught to be aware of the body, that became a huge part of my life. It became uh, kind of uh, second nature to uh, have a, a, a mindful presence, a present moment awareness rooted or centered in my body. And it's been a huge gift for my life, and I just love it. It's a wonderful thing. And uh, so the first five exercises in this set, of 13 exercises for cultivating mindfulness, um, have to do with the body. And, um, and to kind of a little bit uh, do a little wordplay to emphasize uh, a little bit how this works, is um, the word sati, which we usually translate into English as mindfulness, which I, I prefer to translate as awareness. Uh, the word sati um, uh, is related to the uh, ancient Indic word for memory, to remember. And if we take that idea in English, to remember, uh, and you kind of pause between the RE and the member, to remember, to uh, bring all the members back together um, and become, become whole. And many times we are disconnected from ourselves. And it's very easy to be disconnected to the body. And, uh, and so there's, it's said that the modern life uh, has done more to disconnect bodies from themse- people from their bodies than any previous 
lifestyle or century or you know, culture at all. We do so many things which are mental, you know, spending, some people spend hours a day on the screen, which so much is processed through the, the mind and the eyes. And, you know, the body's kind of, you know, you know, is kind of incidental, you know, and they don't pay strong attention to it. And, um, and so, um, and some people spend a lot of time preoccupied by things. People who have uh, maybe good reason, for good reason, have a lot of fear, can live uh, uh, swirling around in their uh, uh, imaginings around fear, about what they're afraid of, uh, thoughts of fear, anxiety, emotions of fear. And they're in some ways very present for the fear, anxiety, but it often keeps people disconnected from themselves. It keeps them in their, also in their thoughts, the imagination. It keeps them tense uh, and uh, sometimes uh, removed from parts of their body because they're the tightness they live under. So uh, some people um, uh, have been taught by their culture or religion to, uh, to disvalue the body. The body is not important. And so the body's treated as just a hunk of meat that, that uh, you know, is useful because it uh, carries you around, but it's kind of inconvenient at that time too. And uh, and so the body is, you know, not, it's not seen as, sometimes it's so, so strong that the idea that my, I'm not my body, there's a real disconnect or separation from the body. Uh, a strong Western current of thought uh, makes a very strong separation between mind and body. And the mind is where it's really at. The body is just kind of incidental. And so all these different ways and more that people get disconnected from their body, spending a lot of time thinking about the past, thinking about the future, fantasizing, um, drifting off into fantasy. Uh, And some people don't realize how disconnected they are until they sit down to meditate. And then they discover how much their mind is swirling and caught up in thoughts and futures and plans and fantasies and, you know, fears and all kinds of things go on that put us up in the head into the imagination. And the body, again, is, is lost touch with. Uh, sometimes there's, uh, 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 and so we get this message, you know, some places that the body is not to be felt. Some people don't want to feel their body because the body is the primary vehicle uh, to really feel fully our emotional life. And emotional lives are difficult for people. And some people have had very difficult emotional lives and, and uh, the remnants, very powerful remnants of difficult things that happened in the past still live in their body, still live inside. And so it's too hard sometimes to feel those emotions that are there. And so people disconnect from it. When the body so they don't have to feel so much, better not feel anything. Shouldn't feel anything below the neck. And so some people have. And, um, and so some people's different parts of their body get shut down or shut off. The, an example of how, um, remember I met many years ago, I met this man who was paraplegic. He had um, been sleeping in a sleeping bag in a farmer's field and the farmer didn't know he was there and drove his tractor right over him. And uh, he became paraplegic and, um, and he um, told me, he was a, he was a, mindfulness practitioner, very serious about it. And he said that um, uh, he's always in pain unless he, unless he shuts off the connection between uh, 
his head and the rest of his body. And he had this ability to completely shut down because to, to not do that uh, put him in fi- fiery pain. And it was just he couldn't, you know, manage that. So, the, you know, the mind has this, uh, many, many very powerful c- capacities. So either we're so disconnected because we're distracted from the body or we uh, have, some people have aversion to the body and some people just shut down the body because they don't want to feel and, and feel their life much. And, uh, and so uh, to sit down and meditate is to go in the other, other direction than that. Uh, meditation is a process of reconnecting, remembering, bringing all the pieces back together and awakening the body to the degree to which it's uh, fallen asleep or gone numb or disconnected. And, uh, and so this uh, s- uh, discourse on the four foundations of mindfulness begins with mindfulness of the body. And uh, the exercises themselves, can, some of them can seem kind of a little bit dry or not so inspiring. But uh, to take them on as practices, our practices here to uh, reconnect us and really be present through our body. And it begins with mindfulness of breathing, which I talked about uh, two weeks ago or two talks ago. And, um, and that, that's explicitly is a process of settling into your breathing uh, and as you settle in, uh, if, they, if you relax, the breathing becomes c- uh, calmer, slower, in a nice way. And as the breathing becomes calms down, as we sit and meditate, that that begins. That means the mind begins to quiet down, and that opens up a heightened sensitivity to the body. And it talks about that. It talks about how then we become aware of the body in a fuller way, the tensions and stuff in the body. And then the Buddha gives the instruction to calm the body down, to, to relax it further. And as we, as we feel the body and relax it, we feel the body more fully. And to really relax and re, uh, lower all the resistance we have, all the ways we're disconnected, and have the body be relaxed and fully integrated is one of the great pleasures of life. It's a beautiful feeling to really be here and feel it through the body. And to do this in a focused way, to really stay, be with the breath, stay focused in this process, show up here and cultivate a stronger attention to the present moment uh, and a more stable, steady attention than most people go about in their daily life. And the, the text gives a simile for that kind of attention. And that is a, uh, someone who has a lathe and they're with their, their knife, their uh, carving something on the lathe. Here, the, in this text is called a turner, and um, and uh, and a person has the kind of t- attention they would have in order to bring that chisel, I guess, up against the whatever wood you're turning, shaping, and just hold it there very precisely. And this idea of you know you hold it very very precisely, and the more refined it gets, the more you get close to the the shape that you want. Um, the more more lighter the touch, the more precise you have to be to get it to just work right, to stay smooth and nice. And the kind of, of focus attention that keeps you right there uh, as someone doing that kind of work, a craft work, uh, is the kind of attention the Buddha, I think, is trying to encourage us to have for staying on the breath. Really there. And it's a beautiful thing that you feel this. If you think of your the cycle of breathing in and out as being the lathe, and your attention being the, the chisel, and you want to keep that chisel of attention right there in the full cycle. Because if you take your chisel on and off, 
the bowl that you're making, you're not going to get a smooth, round thing. And so the, the craftsman, craftsperson keeps their attention honed and focused right there. You can't miss anything. You're just right there. And, um, and they might be thinking about things, looking at the bowl, studying it, being with it, but their, their primary attention is just staying right there. So we're cultivating this relaxed attention on the breathing that's also finely honed like a chisel, just staying right there, feel it, be with it. Um, not only for the purpose of cultivating strong attention, present moment attention is able to stay in the present moment with something, but also so that refined attention begins to awaken up the body. And we start feeling and become aware in the body much more. And we have many different kinds of perception in the body. Uh, and as we know, right, there's, uh, there's a hot and cold and there's pressure and there's a perception that can feel the movements of the body. There's a perception that uh, you identify with parts of your body. You look at your hand and you know it's your hand, which seems obvious to most of us, right? But there can be brain injuries where people, uh, that the brain's capacity to identify a part of the body as my own is a particular capacity or function of the brain that can be damaged. And there are people who look at their hand and they don't see it's their hand. It's, you know, for those, those of us who do see our hand, my, own, my hand, it's kind of inconceivable that you would look at your hand and not think it's yours. But um, the, uh, that's a particular kind of perception or way of relating that there. There's um, uh, understanding that perception allows us to feel the body in space, location of the body, the movements of the body. There's all these different kinds of perceptions that go on throughout the body that are constantly feeding uh, uh, us information what's going on. And all these perceptions, all these awareness, uh, forms of perceptions operating together contribute to, uh, as a gestalt, as a whole, to a very full set feeling of awareness, of being aware, of being present. It's kind of like they, when they come together and operate in harmony as a whole, um, they get the impression the whole feels like something very special. It feels like awareness. Some people say consciousness. Um, and it would be kind of like um, my teacher in Burma, uh, he had this example of, uh, uh, if you look down on the sidewalk and you see this long black line that's continuous, looks like someone you know, painted a line there. Uh, but if you go close, you see it's ants. And, uh, and the ants are discontinuous. But from a distance, it just looks like there's conti- continuous, like a movie, right? It's, it's an individual, at least in the old days, uh, uh, with um, you know, eight millimeter film or something. They, uh, it's individual still shots on the movie screen. But they happen so quickly that the mind, the brain, constructs mo- movement. And so it looks like they're doing something exciting on the screen. But they're not doing anything exciting up there. It's just, you know, it'd be very boring if it just spent, you know, one minute and one still, still shot, and then next minute another still shot. And, you know, it would take a long time to get through the movie, and it wouldn't be very interesting. The movement gives it life and vitality. So we have this mental ability to, to put things together into a kind of a whole... And in part, that's what maybe the generalized sense of awareness can be. All these things of perception operating together. And so we have all these uh, capacities for perception throughout the body that wake up and start operating well and start kind of vibrating together. And it's a beautiful feeling to feel 
like almost like awareness radiates from the body, that radi- awareness is centered in the body, that you can't feel if we're caught up in our thoughts, can't feel if we're caught up in desire, uh, can't feel if we're caught up in the future, the past. We can't really feel in a full way if um, you know we're in fantasy. So why do this? Why cultivate this stronger sense of awareness and um, this strong mindfulness? And uh, that's where the topic last week, we talked about the refrain. And the refrain talks about uh, we want to cultivate a strong enough mindfulness so that the ordinary concepts we have that we overlay an experience are not operating. And in particular, it's concepts about um, identifying with the experience. Me, myself, and mine, this is who I am. You know, I can look at my hand and I can say that I have the most beautiful hand in the world and I'm so special and I'm wonderful and don't you really admire me because of my hand? I am like really the best hand person around. You know, or it could be the opposite, like, wow, that's an ugly hand. How do I get born with that hand? I better not even, you know, I can have it with my hand, right? I'm caught up in my hand uh, and it's, I go overboard with it, right? Or I can close my eyes and I can feel the sensations of my hands. I can feel the pulsing and the vibration, the warmth and the heat. And without the overlay of all these crazy ideas about, you know, the value of my hand and what people think of it and all that. So this ability to quiet the mind down from all its busy thoughts and judgments and all that and just experience something in and of itself in its pristine simplicity, just the sensations of the hand before all the overlay of projected ideas on it. So that's, that's the direction this practice is going. And so one of the reasons to <clears throat> drop into the body and develop a strong sense of present moment awareness in the body, it drops us out of this uh, being caught up in the conceptual realm. And as we can relax in there and relax in there and settle down, there's less and less of this conceptualizing, uh, telling ourselves stories about what's going on. The storytelling mind quiets down and it gets very peaceful in the mind. But that peacefulness helps us uh, just to see things in the simplicity. Why do we do that? Some people do it because it's just so pleasant. It's like, it's like one of the best things going. Hard to believe if you haven't really experienced it. But for the Buddha, we do that because when the mind is not caught up in stories and ideas and shoulds and shouldn'ts and what I want and what I don't want, and it's quiet down calm, then it's, gets, uh, it's easier for the deep structures of the mind to relax also, to let go. And that relaxing or releasing of the deep structures of attachment is what in Buddhism is called liberation or enlightenment. And you have to prepare the ground for that in order for that something deep to be able to let go. There has to be a lot of softening and settling that goes on. And that letting go is described as um, dwelling independent, not clinging to anything in the world. So that's the direction we're going. And so I, I, I review all this because now we can understand the next two exercises in the book for cultivating this awareness, uh, uh, why they can be seen as being significant or, or, or what we want to infuse them with, what, what they're all about, because you know, they could be seen as being kind of boring. Um, so the first, uh, f- uh, the first of these is called mindf- um, 
a mindfulness of the four postures. Awareness of using, using the four postures, primary postures people take, as a vehicle for developing this strong sense of awareness. And the four postures are um, walking, standing, sitting, and lying down. And sometimes they're called the four dignified postures. And, and you know, so all, but I think all the postures in between also count. Um, but you know, you're supposed to be aware of your posture. But these, you know, for simplicity's sake, they call these four. And uh, so when you're standing, it's very simple. And um, uh, when you're st- uh, when one stands, one understands I'm standing. When one un- is walking, one understands I'm walking. When one is, one is sitting, one understands one is sitting. When one is laying down, one understands one's laying down. Now, if, you know, if I didn't spend you know, like four weeks now describing how we get to this and prepare you all for this, if I just go down downtown Redwood City and walk up to someone and say, hey, <laughs> I have some instructions for you. <laughs> when you're walking, just know you're walking. <laughs> when you're standing, just stand. You know, they'll probably call the police, or they'll probably think think I'm crazy, or they just think like, "What is this guy saying? It has, had no, has no meaning whatsoever." You know, it's like this is kind of bizarre. You know, it's a, let me read you something really important from Buddhist scripture. In fact, it might be one of the most important things. When you're standing, know you're standing. <laughs> what? What are these Buddhists up to? You know, we, you know. I have a better religion at home than, than something as simple as this. So it can seem, you know, if, for the uninitiated, as this is like, you know, silly. This is a religion. Uh, however, the the whole context for this is to live in such a way to uh, so that this heightened sense of present moment awareness can live in us. So we can awaken the body and the body becomes a vehicle for for enlightenment, a vehicle for peace, a vehicle for knowledge and understanding of our life. And so when the text says when walking, one knows one walks, it, it means really know it. How many times when you're walking are you really knowing that you're walking? Or are you walking and thinking about things? I mean, nowadays... For some reason, nowadays, you notice a lot of people, uh, uh, when they walk, they keep their head down. Have you noticed that? And their arms up? <laughs> it's usually one arm. And they're having a, rela- they're having a relationship with their hand. You know, my hand. <laughs> or something, right? And, uh, and so the idea that I'm walking is far from their consciousness. They, they're not... They're not clearly, actively aware I am walking. I'm really walking. One of the inspiring moments for me when I was in the Buddhist monastery was seeing one of the more senior practitioners walk across a courtyard. And there was something about the way he walked where he was purposely going someplace. He was going to work in the kitchen. But it was almost as if I knew that. However, the way he was walking, the way at least I saw it, was um, he wasn't walking to get anywhere. He was walking just to walk, and he was just in the walking. That's what he was doing. And it was so inspiring. It was kind of like watching a great uh, athlete in the Olympics or something, a gymnast or something, or a 
dance or do something and wow, they're really trained, they're really there, they're present, they're really there in their dance, right? So I was like watching this man walk around. He's really there in his walk. And to see that and to feel that and somehow to viscerally kind of have something inside of me resonate with that kind of presence was really inspiring for me. He wasn't looking at his cell phone. <laughs> and, I, and because, you know, most people are not inspired by people who walk down the street looking at their cell phone. Uh, if anything, some people are like, can you believe what they're doing out there? You know, they're not paying attention and they're not being friendly. They're just absorbed in their, their little world. Um, and then if someone else walks down the street, even here I bet, uh, I bet if someone is really walking down in a present way and is just walking and present for their experience, it could stand out in some communities. Um, you know, and that uh, this is different. And so, um, and so to really know that you're walking, it says, when you're walking, really know it. If you're bored, because I know it, <laughs> I know I'm walking, what's the big deal? Then we don't understand the value of inhabiting our experience, of really beginning centered in it and learning how to put aside the distractions that we have and having the experience of walking come alive from the inside out. And what we're trying to do is to use the walking as a place where we start moving towards this heightened sense of embodied awareness, present moment awareness, so that, so that if you're interested in this path or the goal that the Buddha is set, uh, setting, if you're interested in you know, uh, abiding in deep peace in our experience now, if you're interested in the freedom from clinging that the Buddha teaches, if that's what you're interested in, then use the opportunity of walking for that purpose. Really be in the walking. Those of you who have been on retreats know that uh, walking meditation is a very important part of our practice. Uh, we do sitting meditation and walking meditation. On the residential retreats, it's equal, about equal time, 50-50, sitting and walking, maybe a little bit more sitting. And, uh, and for some people, like it was for me, it was an acquired taste. Um, because, you know, what is this walking about? But I would do it, and slowly over time, uh, this walking meditation also became a beautiful thing to do because of the heightened awareness that flows up and is pre- here. And it's so satisfying to really be in the present moment in a relaxed, deep way. In a way that you can't imagine if you're into the pleasure of desire or the pleasure of hating something or preoccupied in thoughts that seem so important. What can be important just being, you know, you, you, your boss is not going to give you a, a raise just because you you know really walk in with embodied mindfulness. It doesn't count, right? You know, in the commerce of our life. But it counts a lot spiritually to wake up. And so when the Buddha says, uh, when we stand, know you're standing, but really know it and keep knowing it. Keep waking up to it until it becomes like second nature. When you sit, really know you're sitting. In Zen, they talk about when you walk, just walk. When you stand, just stand. When you sit, just sit. Just really just be there and do the thing you're doing. And then when you lie down, know you're lying down. So this is part of the training for cultivating, establishing this heightened awareness which is mindfulness. Uh, 
So if you're interested in developing this heightened awareness, then you could use these very simple ordinary tasks, that we are, uh, activities that we're always doing to do that. So then comes uh, the next exercise, and that's called... Um, 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 I don't know what it's called, but it's, uh, it's, um, uh, it has to do with uh, being uh, clearly comprehending, having clear comprehension, clear knowledge of activities that we're doing. So, you know, sitting, standing, walking, and lying down are activities. But now we're talking about many of the other kind of ordinary activities we go about with all day. Uh, we can do them mindlessly and not really inhabit them and be in them, or we can do them in, in, uh, in an inhabit, fully present way in order to cultivate this heightened awareness. And so here's what the text says. One acts in full awareness when going forward or returning. One acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away. One acts in full awareness when flexing and extending one's limbs. One acts in full awareness when wearing one's robes and carrying one's outer robe and bowl, for monastics. Uh, Who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food, and tasting. Who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating. Who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silent. So it's a whole list of very common things that people do. And, um, and uh, in a sense, we could say that uh, the instructions are to infuse all the ordinary daily activities of life uh, with your spirituality, to make them spiritual. From a Buddhist point of view, that is to infuse them with your awareness so you're really there and doing it, present. You're not distracted, you're not thinking ahead, you're not um, uh, you know, doing something to get it over with so you can go on to the, get through your to-do list and while you're thinking about what's on TV tonight. You're really present for the experience. And, um, and so the training uh, in, in a number of the Buddhist monasteries where I practice with was, was explicitly, when you do something, you really do it with your whole body. Zen was really good for this. Um, you don't just pick up, you know, if you're going to pick up a bowl, you know, you're eating, uh, eating soup or something. You don't just like, you know, you know, kind of, you know, looking at, you know, the birds and the things and thinking about lottery numbers and just kind of, you know, grab your bowl and, you know, you know, and kind of look for your spoon and kind of, you know, shovel it in while you're looking at the news. Uh, what you would do is you would you would look at your bowl mindfully. You'd see it. You would turn towards it and you take both hands and you would pick it up as if it's something precious and you're really there and you pick it up and you really hold it and you're right there. And then you would take your spoon and you would mindfully eat. Uh, really be there in the eating. And you wouldn't be, you know, watching TV or listening to the news or whatever you're doing. You would just be there with the eating. 
there's no moral obligation to do this. This is not a moral thing. This is optional, but it's considered one way of using all your ordinary life as place to cultivate this heightened awareness, which in Buddhist spirituality is the source of spiritual life. It's where what infuses spirituality into our life, this heightened sense of awareness that uh, it can be so powerful that to um, to kind of either dismay you or inspire you. I occasionally, talking to uh, people who believe in God, I equate it, uh, and they ask me, what do you do in your practice? And I say, I practice the presence of God. Because it's so powerful, the presence of attention, of awareness that's embodied and present and here, and really here for it. And, um, and it's a beautiful thing to live that way. It turns out that if you can really live present and aware and attentive to what's going on, all this goodness starts flowing out of us. Uh, a kind of wisdom and understanding and we're in touch with so much of ourselves that require heightened awareness to be in touch with, to be aware of, that can't be there when we're distracted and caught up and doing things half-heartedly and in a distracted way. So all these things, you know, and... Um, you know, and I love it. And even defecating and urinating, even there, you really be present. Um, and talking, I mean, that's the hardest place to do it, right? But uh, to try to be present and attentive as you talk. Or when you keep silent, it says. And then putting on your clothes, wearing your clothes, um, tasting your food, moving your arms. It's a... Um, and the goal in when you're in these monasteries practicing or people who are really serious about mindfulness practice is to um, bring mindfulness into all the activities of the day so it becomes kind of seamless so, you do, so that it's, it's not a separation or compartmentalizing of our life between that part of our life which is for meditation or for spirituality and that which isn't it all becomes a whole. This remembering. A big part of Buddhism, Buddhist practice, is a remembering into, uh, returning everything, reconnecting everything into one big whole. And so making our life whole, not living in compartmentalized ways. And a lot of this is done through developing this heightened awareness. It's deeply satisfying in and of itself when it really becomes strong. And it's wonderful that it's onward leading. It's the way that leads to the deep uh, letting go of clinging. So the beginning of this uh, text, these instructions are um, settle into your breathing and meditation. And outside of meditation, cultivate the same quality of attention and mindfulness in your daily life as you go around doing these simple, ordinary activities. And if you're afraid you won't be able to take care of your ordinary life that way, uh, chances are once you get into it, you'll take care of it better. Uh, you'll, you'll do things more f- efficiently or wiser or clear, or you'll discover, or you'll discover and this is the, you know, one of these f- frightening ideas, that uh, you'll discover maybe you don't need to do as much as you think you do. <laughs> maybe it's okay to settle in and appreciate and love this life 
of being aware rather than just filling it with busy activities that keeps you disconnected. So, um, so we have about five minutes before the official end. What do you think of this? Does this seem like a good idea or a bad idea? Or was this motivating for you or discouraging for you or confusing for you? Or I'd like to hear, yes. The way the way that I talk, you talked, I talked about rel, uh, c- relaxation of the body and calming the mind. Uh-huh. Yes, uh, meaning more, you know, dropping into the body uh, versus calming the the mind. Uh, which one is there a rule? Which one comes first? Maybe they happen together. Maybe they don't happen separately. Because the the way the, the way specifically the way the, the Buddha in this text talks about relaxing the body, uh, it's it's not the uh, he talks about the um, what's called the bodily formations usually translated into English, and um, that part of the body that needs to be relaxed uh, uh, is tense because of what happens in the mind. The tension and mental activity, the te- mental tension, physical tension come together. If it wasn't for something going on in the mind, generally there would be no physical tension in the body. So there's a very close uh, connection to They're not really separate. And so it goes in reverse as well. As the tension in the body relaxes, uh, there's, a, there's like little strings, puppet strings, that go up to the, to the mind. And so the puppeteer begins to relax too. Um. Just to elaborate on, on, on the question and your, on your answer. So if, if I drop into the body and, and feel the sensations, I'm not really avoiding the thoughts, but I'm bringing my attention to the body. So naturally the c- mind starts to calm down. Uh, and vice versa. Y- yes. Uh, naturally is a... You know, maybe a little... How, how about if we say, um, naturally, eventually? <laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> because, you know, I don't want to say, you know, it's automatic that, you know, one-to-one correspondence, just feel your body and everything kind of relaxes. But it takes practice and it takes a, uh, a lot of care and attention and compassion and really being present and developing that presence. And with time, it goes faster and faster. But at first, uh, some things are so frozen and so caught mentally, emotionally, psycho- uh, physically, that it actually takes a while for things to thaw and to relax. And, and uh, so in the meantime, we hold it with uh, loving attention, patient attention, and then, uh, and then things start to wake up and relax. Thank you. Can we pass it, uh, Mike, down there? So thank you. And <clears throat> I personally aspire to be in touch with the body and have been practicing mindfulness for a while. I think my big question is how does one practice when, for example, defecation, that would be the, I think, (laughs) for me, the easiest example to use, leads in heightened awareness of mortality and death and oblivion. And actually in one of my more 
relaxed states, my few jhana states that I actually achieved, I yeah. felt complete terror. Mm. Um, and I'm secular, so I don't have the comfort of thinking that there will be other lives. So what would you recommend around working with terror that comes out up in those I states? I see. I think that uh, if in uh, deeper meditation you talked about jhana-like states and there's deep terror, you should probably talk to a meditation teacher okay. about it. Uh, it's a known phenomena, so first teachers will probably normalize it for you. But first I'd like to hear more details what it, what is going on. And uh, because there there is a, a certain kind of deep meditation practice or deep unfolding that can go through a layer of fear and terror. And um, and it's uh, for some people it's a short layer, it just, they hardly notice they go through it. And some people uh, it becomes, you know, it's the kind of, you know, stays for a while. Okay. And, uh, and there's a variety of reasons for that. And so it takes some care and some support and attention and to help normalize it and understand how to work with it and to be told that it's part of the process. And, and, um, and so that's what I'd encourage to do and um, uh, to do it that way. And in the meantime, until you've had a chance to talk to someone, um, a, few, a few guidelines. One is that uh, uh, as important it is to go through this kind of terror sometimes, <clears throat> it's also very important <clears throat> to have confidence that you can pull away from it. Yeah. And some people don't, haven't learned that as a lesson, so they just think I have to hang in there and just, you know, until I pop or something. Um, but it's actually, you know, to, to touch into it and say, okay, that's enough for today, and, pull, and learn how to pull out. And, mm. and it's actually a very, very important uh, part of the process. And the other is to try to cultivate a lot of um, uh, uh, compassion, a lot of metta and kindness, uh, maybe at other times. So there's a reservoir of that as you go through it, and that can hold you um, and support you and give you some confidence. It's very useful, thank you. Great. And, uh, and we will, you know, in a few sessions, uh, talk about, as part of this, it's one of the sessions here is Mindfulness of Death. And that's, a, that's when you should wear your T-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try to remember. You try to remember, yes. <laughs> so, um, so, uh, so if you're at all inclined, I would encourage you to spend this week um, looking at your ordinary activities of standing, walking, sitting, eating, defecating, tasting, talking, all the things you do, and um, as, a, as your monastery, a, as your place to really enter into and inhabit, almost like you're becoming the activity, you're being it in a deep way, and see what happens to your awareness and see how satisfying it is to drop everything else as if you're allowed, this is a radical idea, as if you're allowed to not be busy. Just do this one thing, standing, sitting, eating, urinating. May all forms of release bring you happiness.